The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning. It's Tuesday the 9th of January here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, in another blow to Boeing, United finds loose bolts on multiple 737 MAX jets. As Anthony Blinken warns of consequences for continued attacks in the Red Sea, we have a special report on the sailors risking their lives to make the crossing. Plus, picking up the tab, taxpayers face a £10 billion bill for student loans, including those that have already been repaid. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. United Airlines says it has found loose bolts in multiple Boeing 737 MAX jets during inspections of the planes. The discovery follows a mid-air blowout on an Alaska Airlines flight which prompted the Federal Aviation Administration to ground more than 170 jets. Bloomberg Intelligence's senior aerospace analyst George Ferguson has more. When you look at the, the way the plug, the sort of the, the shots later on, and you see where the plug was and how clean the plug seemed to have left the airplane, it does seem to indicate that either fasteners failed uh, or someone didn't apply the fasteners correctly. And I think the United News kind of confirms that maybe somebody on the manufacturing line didn't understand the right procedure for applying this plug. That's George Ferguson from Bloomberg Intelligence. The setback comes after a series of manufacturing and quality lapses at Boeing. Its shares suffered their biggest decline in more than a year on the news, dropping by 8% in New York. America's top diplomat says that Houthi militants will face consequences if they continue to attack ships in the Red Sea. Antony Blinken's warning comes as the US and its allies contemplate strikes on the Iran-backed group in Yemen. He told reporters that the principle of freedom of navigation is at stake. We've had 40 countries come together to make clear that what the Houthis are doing has to stop. And we have other countries that have made clear that if it continues... Uh, there have to be consequences. So our strong view, our strong preference is that the Houthis get the message that they're receiving from countries around the world that this needs to stop. And that's what we're focused on. Blinken meets with Israel's leader Benjamin Netanyahu late today. He is hoping to contain the conflict in Gaza and potentially broker a post-war government for the Strip. France's Prime Minister Elizabeth Borne has resigned, prompting a government reshuffle expected to be unveiled today. Borne said that President Emmanuel Macron told her he wanted to replace her. The French leader is seeking to refresh his government agenda ahead of European elections in June. French media reporting that Education Minister Gabriel Attal is the favourite to replace Borne as the next Prime Minister. 
Samsung's profits have fallen by 35% amidst weak consumer demand in the tech industry. The company's sixth straight quarter of declining operating profit, which missed estimates by about 24%. Tom Kang, who is research director at CounterPoint Technology Market Research, says that the results indicate that the sector's revival might take longer than previously expected. The numbers are a bit disappointing, but they are rebounding. So I think uh, this shows that the rebound is going to be a bit slower than we all thought. So the semiconductor market has been starting to recover since the third quarter last year. Prices were rising, but it looks like the pricing, the prices are not rising that fast and the demand from certain sectors are not that strong. Kang's comments come after Samsung executives predicted in October 2023 that the $160 billion memory market would bounce back gradually this year, driven by a boom in AI development. Investors will want to hear about Samsung's long-term investment plans when it releases full results on the 31st of January. Barclays let go approximately 5,000 staff last year. The move is the most visible sign yet of cost-cutting at the lender. Bloomberg's Tiwa Adebayo has the details. Barclays cut about 6% of its global headcount last year during what was described as its, quote, ongoing efficiency programme. According to a company statement, the majority of roles affected were in support functions, reflecting increased automation capacity. The bank's stock lagged behind peers in 2023 and faces slowing tailwinds from higher interest rates in the UK this year. Despite the cuts, Barclays says it will continue hiring in some business areas. In London, Tiwa Adebayo, Bloomberg Radio. The UK Treasury is facing a yearly £10 billion hit due to its student loan scheme. It's a cost that the Institute for Fiscal Studies says is not on the books. Bloomberg's James Wilcock explains. The think tank says the government will lose an average of £15,000 per student this year. That's because the price of financing new government borrowing is more than three times higher what it was two years ago, and will outpace students' inflation-tracking interest. The IFS say the spread is not one the Office of National Statistics tracks, and is set to cost the government £10 billion annually, right at a moment when Chancellor Jeremy Hunt is hoping for fiscal headroom. In London, James Wilcock, Bloomberg Radio. And UK Christmas shopping sales failed to deliver a festive boost for retailers, according to the latest data. The British Retail Consortium and KPMG say that total sales grew by just 1.7% in December, compared with almost 7% growth a year earlier. The difficult trading environment for retailers is expected to continue this year as shoppers see little respite from higher living costs. Ongoing weak data may also stoke concerns that the UK economy could tip into recession and raise the possibility of rate cuts by the Bank of England. Now, in a moment, we'll bring you some first-hand reporting from those sailing the world's most dangerous shipping lane. Bloomberg's Aaron Clark's going to join us for his piece about the perils for seafarers braving the Red Sea and Suez Canal as those attacks by Houthi militants uh, have taken place over the past couple of months. Um, but another story that caught our eye this morning, Caroline. Yeah, Dubai ban- branded sportswear gear. I should ask, should have asked this to Leanne Gerrans, of course. <laughs> Who's in the Middle East? If uh, long-time listeners Keen will be familiar, yeah. Right? yes, indeed. Do, I, I don't know whether you you do. Maybe you were influenced 
if you did buy, of course, the I'm legendary. very susceptible to influencing. Yeah. Okay, Tiger Woods. Hmm. 27 years, Tiger Woods and Nike have had this iconic partnership. Partnership worth $660 million. Now the golf legend, though, has announced a split. All very friendly, mm. wishing each other well for the future and so on. But the relationship going back to 1996, really taking golf to new heights. Yeah, 96. It's hard, to, hard to imagine how what, who Tiger Woods was in 1996. I mean, comparatively to, to the, the global name that he is now. Yeah, absolutely. 15 major titles and obviously still playing. Um, but yes, I think this the, the idea of whether this uh, kind of partnership would continue has been in doubt actually for some months. But now the split sort of comes. So still lots of question marks there about what Tiger Woods might do. He does have his own clothing line, apparently. Not that I've ever mm. seen it. But, you know, the Nike swoosh and... I think yeah, he really yeah. revolutionised, um, you know, sp- sports icons and, and. I mean, he was signed up tonight before LeBron James. I didn't realise. Yes. I would have seen that that relationship went back much longer. Anyway, yeah, fascinating news in the world of sports sponsorship as well. Now, uh, let's talk about the latest uh, from the Middle East now. The US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, is in Israel and meeting with uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. This is Israel's longest-serving leader, is also facing increasing questions about his leadership after the October 7th attack and the ensuing war in Gaza. Let's bring in Israel Bureau Chief Ethan Bronner now for more on this topic. Good morning, Ethan. First of all, what is Anthony Blinken hoping to achieve on this trip now? I believe his fourth. Has the tone shifted? Um, I'm not sure how much the tone has shifted, but certainly Blinken's goal here has been to uh, urge the Israelis to uh, move from a more robust form of warfare to a more targeted one. And the Israelis have said that's what they're doing at the urging of the United States. So partly it's to kind of button that down and make sure the Israelis say they're pulling five brigades out in the coming days and weeks. So uh, that's part of what they want. And the goal here is to reduce Uh, civilian casualties and to reduce the risk of starvation and disease spreading in Gaza and to start thinking in some concrete terms about the so-called day after how Gaza is going to be run once Israel ends its military efforts to um, take out Hamas. So that's the the, the, all of that. Now, don't forget that Blinken arrived in Israel from uh, Saudi Arabia and the Emirates, and uh, he comes with a very specific message, which is that the Gulf leaders are eager and willing to help rebuild Gaza, but only in the context of the agreement for a Palestinian state. The Israelis are unlikely to be willing to say those words at the moment, so mm-hmm. we'll have to see where it goes. What about Benjamin Netanyahu and all of this as well. How has the war with Hamas changed his leadership? Well, first of all, it has deeply threatened it. I mean, the, he had um, sold himself and he'd, uh, his, his entire image had been as Mr. Security. He's a guy who has um, presided over a longest sort of moment of peace and prosperity in Israel from around 2006 to October 7th, a few skirmishes, but fundamentally a great increase in GDP per capita, a huge increase in the economy and international investment in Israel, and in a sense that the place was safe and secure. That's all over, and his poll numbers are way down. In addition, of course, you know, he's been fighting uh, um, charges of corruption, uh, fraud, 
bribery. So he's got that going. Uh, but there have been basically, and then there was this attempt, uh, along with his far-right partners in government, to remake the judiciary, weaken the judiciary, which upset people and produced weekly demonstrations in the country until October 7th. So there was a lot going on to begin with, uh, and his numbers are down. He is not the most popular leader in Israel right now, Benny Gantz is. But uh, the system is that he doesn't have to call an election, and he may well not. So um, in terms of the pressure then that he might be under from Anthony Blinken, how much is Netanyahu's fate tied with what happens in Gaza? I mean, might might he be forced out before uh, the end to the war? I mean, um, the Israelis are talking about many, many months of, of war and conflict. They are. The problem is, what does it mean to force him out? There is no real legal system to force him out. He has a 64-member a Knesset majority out of 120. And as long as he holds his coalition together, there is no way to drive him from power uh, unless he were to be convicted. And that's not going to happen quickly enough for that to happen. So the, the idea would be that there's, there's this emergency uh, cabinet, war cabinet, which includes members of the opposition. If this war shifts into a more low level uh, operation and they decide there's no longer a need for an emergency cabinet, then we're back to the old government. And you know, there'll probably be weekly demonstrations again calling for him to resign, and people are very angry and eager for the remaining 100-plus hostages to be returned. But, uh, you know, there is no specific way of making him leave, and what we know about him suggests he's unlikely to go on his own. Okay, well, a story for us to monitor then. Israel Bureau Chief Ethan Bronner, thank you very much for joining us with that. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We've been reporting in recent weeks, though, on the attacks on cargo ships travelling through the Red Sea. The strikes by militant group in Yemen have endangered civilian seafarers, raised costs along a crucial global trade artery. And, of course, it's related to uh, the war in Gaza to tensions in the Middle East. Bloomberg's Aaron Clark has been speaking, though, to some of those aboard these ships. And he joins us now for more. Aaron, good morning. Thank you for being with us. Just remind us, why are Iran-backed Houthi militants based in Yemen attacking commercial vessels in the Red Sea? Yeah, the Houthi militants uh, in Yemen, um, they're attacking ships uh, connected uh, to Israel, or they've said they're attacking ships connected to Israel in order to break the siege on Gaza and stop Israeli uh, aggression. Um, you know, they're, they're demanding people in Gaza get access to things like food and medicine. Um, some of the initial attacks were on vessels that appeared to have a link to, you know, uh, Israel or, or Israeli ownership. Those connections have begun to look uh, a lot more tenuous now. Um, and just in terms of 
the numbers, you know, the U.S. Central Command has have said that there have been 24, at least 24 attacks between November 19th and January 2nd. Um, and there's still, um, you know, a vessel that, that was hijacked and remains off the coast of Yemen. There's a 25-member crew um, that's, that's effectively hostage right now. Aaron, you spoke to seafarers whose ships have been attacked by, by drones. Can you describe what they experienced? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's pretty traumatic. Um, one seafarer I spoke with, he described how, um, you know, he was on the bridge helping navigate the ship um, through the Red Sea. Um, it was around midday. Most of the most of the crew was was having lunch in in the dining hall, um, and basically, uh, you know, there there was a loud bang, um, and uh, it was very clear that that there had been some sort of an attack. Um, it it didn't actually directly strike the ship. They believe it was a drone. Um, he said it was very windy that day, and he thinks the wind actually probably saved the ship from a direct strike, which obviously could have been uh, catastrophic. Um, but anyway, there was a huge bang. Uh, the, the captain quickly ran up from the dining room and got on the public address system and ordered most of the crew into the ship's uh, citadel. This is basically a safe room where you can sort of barricade um, in, in the event the ship is, is being attacked by, by pirates. Um, but the people remaining on the bridge sent out distress messages. Very quickly, a U.S. warship arrived um, um, and, and sort of checked them for damage. And they continued through the strait and were able to make it out safely. But, um, you know, clearly it can be traumatic. And, and, you know, the seafarer I spoke to, I mean, he said that some some other seafarers broke down in tears because it was, um, you know, they could have they could have they could have died. So um, you know, it's 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 can be quite traumatic and, and dangerous for, for these folks who are civilians and seafarers. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.